It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hey there, Bengals fans, and welcome into another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we've got a bit to talk about with the off-season program opening tomorrow at Paul Brown Stadium. BetOnline.ag released an over-under on win totals for the AFC North. Dame Brugler at The Athletic has a new seven-round mock draft available. Our own Joe Goodberry made a guest appearance on the Locked On Draft podcast to step in as the Bengals general manager. We'll take a listen to that clip to find out who he picked in a very difficult spot for the Bengals at 11. And finally, we'll finish up by giving you our respective top five linebackers in the 2019 NFL Draft. So first, the Bengals offseason program opens tomorrow, today, depending on when you're listening to this. We're recording this on Monday, Monday morning. So Tuesday, today, tomorrow, whatever, Bengals players will show up at Paul Brown Stadium for their first official contact with the new coaching staff. And one of the things that... Jeff Hobson's piece at Bengals.com highlights is that Zach Taylor's motto will be revealed tomorrow. We'll find out if it's something like wear your pale lunch to her- to work and dig a hole, or if it's something <laughs> that actually makes some sense. New stripes. Sure. Whatever it is, it is apparently painted or somehow. Corny. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I said going to be corny. Probably corny. But it will be apparently represented in the weight room. And uh, Dalton was all about it. Andy Dalton has some quotes in the Jeff Hobson piece. One of them saying, you know, he's talking about how it feels different. It feels new. He had a plan for what he wanted. And you can see all the construction and all that. So it's apparent to the players that things are going to be different. There's going to be a different feel from, you know, the different lights, the different decorations, the different paint, the different, you know, you name it. It'll be different at Paul Brown Stadium. Yep, and that's what we wanted. That's what everyone, you know, really, wins or losses will come regardless of culture or, well, maybe not regardless, but, you know, all that change that's going to happen may not reflect in wins and losses. But one of the things we did want to change was a new atmosphere and a new approach and fresh eyes on this roster and franchise. So sounds like we're getting that. And we're not expecting, you know, the players to go down onto the field and start installing a whole lot, right? This is our first off-season workout, so we're checking in on health. There is an emphasis on strength and conditioning. The Jeff Hobson piece talks about new strength and positioning coach Joey Bose and whoever the other guy is. What was his name? 
assistants Todd Hunt and Garrett Swanson. Okay. Been building the programs and apparently part of their job is making sure what's on the walls and in the weight room reinforces Taylor's quote unquote agents of change. Yeah. And that's basically, you pretty much recapped it. They're going to, everyone's going to come in, check in, weigh in, um, discuss because a lot of surgeries and and procedures happen after the season concludes. Uh, So you're going to come in now and there's new, new strength and conditioning staff as long as with the coaching staff, which is a big thing. And they're going to check up on how you're doing, you know, how your recovery is, how, your weight is how your strength and conditioning is give you a new meal plan or new workout plan and try and kick that off so that you're where you need to be when everyone shows up for mandatory stuff. Dalton says that it used to be a little bit plain around Paul Brown stadium. And it sounds like that is a change in great. <laughs> we don't like plain. That's no fun for anyone. Uh, apparently also interesting note, Andy Dalton has spent this offseason in Cincinnati, hmm. which I guess he usually does not. I think he usually goes back to Texas. It's kind of an interesting note. So hopefully we'll have more to talk about tomorrow with the first day of the Bengals offseason program opening up. They have a week or so of... Bengals players doing stuff with Bengals coaches. And this is a lot of players first going to be their first work with these coaches. So it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of that from a media perspective. See what, see what we hear. I'd always love to know where people weigh in and what they're doing. They'll never release that information, but that, that if I can get anything out of here, I just want to know what kind of shape they're in. Sometimes you'd hear about it for guys that it was a question mark for Burford, Andre Smith, like, Oh yeah. Andre Smith came in looking a little, you know, or I remember like year two or year three. I want to say it was year two for Michael Johnson. It, that was also a thing because he was so skinny. Remember that he's six foot seven, two forty two at times, two forty three, and wow. uh, yeah, and they were getting him up to two fifty, two sixty. It was a grind to get him all the way up to where he eventually got to. And uh, so I remember that was talked about sometimes. Because he plays two seventy two eighty, right? Yeah, I think he is definitely in that range. But yeah, he was light. Remember he was playing linebacker, uh, and you know they just. They didn't know what to do with him. He kept dropping weight those first couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, he was always a long, skinny guy. The next up on the list of things to talk about is over-unders are out, or starting to come out anyway. This is from Paul Danner's piece today. He regraded the 2016 draft as well, if you want to go check that out. The 2016 draft was a strong one for the Bengals. But the the thing that we're going to talk about here is the over-under Let's talk about the whole AFC North. Joe, let's go through the list and say what you would do, and I'll tell okay. you what, what what's it called, betonline.ag set for each of these teams. So let's start with the Browns, who's at the top for betonline.ag. Okay. So they're the top for the AFC North? That's correct. All right. So what's your number? Let's oh, you want me to what I would give you for my number? Yeah, yeah. I would say nine and a half. So you would say nine and a half. BetOnline.ag says nine is the over-under for the Cleveland Browns. So a little bit more generous, offering the push for those of you that think nine is a likely outcome or eight or ten is a likely outcome. I think ten is a likely. I still would probably bet over even though I said nine and a half. I think ten is probably the the outcome. And we're, we're due to get schedules relatively soon, correct? That's right, yep. And they should announce probably this week that the announcement will come next week. (laughs) The announcement of the announcement. Right. I think next was 
Well, I don't remember if it was the Steelers or the Ravens next, but let's go Steelers next. Okay. I would say uh, 8.5, maybe even 9, but 8.5. I think I think 8.5 is also what draftonline.ag has for the Steelers. What about the Ravens? I would say 7.5. I think they and, have them at 8. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and eight's fair. Probably eight's probably more fair because they did make the playoffs last year. I just think there's a lot of room for regression for them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting year in Baltimore, actually, as well. And then for the Bengals, what number would you say is the over-under for the Bengals? I would have said five or five and a half. And I because new coach, and I don't think there's a lot of um, because remember, they're not trying to get Bengals fans bets, they are, but there's national bets too. And I think uh, a lot of perception outside is that the Bengals made the wrong choice of hiring and are going to stick with Andy Dalton and yada yada yada, which would uh, lead people to have low confidence, and you would probably try and drive that home. So I would say five and a half or so. And betonline.ag is pretty close, they say six. Makes sense. I think I think last year wasn't it five and a half last year for a lot of it was places? six and a half. It was oh, six and a half. I remember going on radio with uh, a Vegas. I did a spot with some uh, radio station in Vegas, and they were talking about um, betting odds. And I said, put hit the over on the Bengals at six and a half because they really they've never gone under it with Marvin Lewis. Yeah. And uh, and I said it's just. I mean, honestly, I said that bet and then taking Marvin Lewis as coach of the year was a strong bet only because of his odds were extremely low and the payout would have been big and i remember saying that and i'm making the case that you know every three years or so he rebuilds this team and gets them to the point where they make the playoffs again and he he's in the running for coach of the year and none of those things happened when they started off really hot i was like yeah they're gonna crush this over and then they did not then injuries really took a toll especially the tyler Eifert injury i think that really took a lot of wind out of the sales of the season took a lot of wind out of my sales for the season last year that that injury really hurt me uh what what would you say would you would you say we don't have Marvin Lewis anymore to lean on and say cuz last year a yep. lot of people were saying yeah take the over on the Bengals that's that's yeah. free money they you know they're consistently an 8 and 8 true talent team it's maybe not now. even true talent but that's where they perform and then this year is is 6 i i i feel pretty safe actually about betting either way because i think 6 is a pretty likely outcome but what do you think yeah, when Marvin, it was a, you know, to steal a phrase from the draft, it was a high floor, low ceiling. You know, you always felt you would get at least seven, maybe not anything more than 11 you should expect. I would say now it's completely unknown, right? You just, yeah. they could win one game. They could win two games. They could win. They could go 13 and three. Honestly, it's not, it wouldn't be, it would be insane, but it would be, I think, within the realm of possibility based on the talent on the team. So, uh, I don't know where I'd put. I, I guess I would lean towards them having a poor season, but it do, that doesn't have to happen. Yeah, I don't know where I would bet on this either, and I think I would probably lean the under because of questions on the offensive line, keeping Dalton healthy for one. He's yep. a couple of years now had injuries to the to the hand that have ended his season, and and both kind of fluke things, but one of those caused directly by offensive line play. You could say the three best players or most most dangerous weapons are consistently um, been hurt the last few years with Dalton. Yeah. And I don't say Dalton because he's the quarterback, but um, Green and Eifert and even Mixon got hurt last year. So that will have a toll on your t- total wins at the end of the year. But if Dalton gets hurt and they don't draft a quarterback, then they're still going to just lose yeah. relentlessly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you need Dalton. Dalton is what he is, and we've talked a lot about Andy Dalton on this podcast, but... 
if if you go from Dalton to to Jeff Driscoll, you're you're gonna start losing football games. Yeah, as we saw, it's just replacement level. Um, you can get similar production sometimes, but play is an important factor, obviously. Yeah. So those are the preliminary betting odds. Obviously, the draft will change these probably like at most a win in either yeah. direction. Yeah. We shouldn't change things a whole lot because, you know. Unless you draft a rookie quarterback. Typically, those will they'll knock you down one because, you know, those guys don't typically play well. Would Arizona really go down if they move from, from Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray, though? No, that might go up one. Yeah. Just because of how bad they were last year. I don't, and, and apparently there's talks and we should t- talk about this maybe for a couple seconds that Rosen to Washington are the trade talks in the works. That's right. And I think that makes perfect sense yeah. because of the cheap contract we talked about. Uh, that sounds like they have two offers for a second round pick. I don't think we talked about Rosen since this became more of a mm-hmm. widely accepted report. They have two offers for a second round pick. The Cardinals do. They're hoping for a first rounder. I don't think they're going to get it. They don't think they're going to get it around the league. So, uh, yeah, Washington, I think, makes perfect sense for this. And if, if you're if you're asking, are the Bengals in on this? Nope. They're not they're interested. Not. Yeah, from what I was – the last time we talked about it, it was the following day. Someone sent me something and said the Bengals have not or have preliminary work and said no, or they're not interested. Yeah. So that's that for the Josh Rosen conversation. I never need to learn his first name. He'll be Drew Rosen forever. Lucky. And from there, let's talk about Dane Brugler's seven round mock draft. I don't envy anybody that puts together a 254 pick no. mock draft that seems like a lot of work and a very thankless job you got guys in the comments complaining that cj conrad isn't even represented in all seven rounds neither is benny snell neither is benny Snell. neither is aj ouellette running back from ohio that we've talked about with the good athleticism good production good players go undrafted every year every year and if, if if it's because of our mid-major conference or because they have a heart arrhythmia that needed to get worked out and checked sure. and cleared or whatever <laughs> it is, maybe maybe they got you know falsely accused of a crime. Maybe they smoked out of a weird gas mask bong the day Remember before that? the draft. Laramie Tunzel, he's been pretty good too. Yep. Don't knock players because they smoke weed unless they're addicted to it. So, anyway... The mock from Dane Brugler. Arizona takes Kyler Murray number one overall. Tampa Bay takes Devin White number five overall. New York Giants take Ed Oliver six overall. The Bengals get to the clock with Drew Locke going to the Denver Broncos at 10 overall. I think this could happen. And so that leaves the Bengals picking between Devin Bush, Christian Wilkins, an offensive tackle, Brian Burns, and then the quarterbacks. Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins. And in yep. this instance, Dane Brugler says Dwayne Haskins to the Cincinnati Bengals. And he says his comment on this pick is Haskins might be the toughest prospect to project in the first round because opinions on him are split around the league. However, the Bengals, who have an established veteran as a starter, will be an interesting landing spot where he can develop under the watchful eye of first-year head coach Zach Taylor. The only pause I get on the match is the athleticism of Dwayne Haskins. And uh, I think you'd want an above average or at least an average athlete at the quarterback position in their offense with a lot of bootlegs roll out, especially with the uh, 
with the Callahan influence of the zone scheme. But having said that, I think uh, this would be a fine pick that got plenty of people excited back-to-back years, first round Ohio State, get some of those um, undecided Ohio football fans to lean towards the Bengals. Get some of those mid-staters to pay attention to the team down south. Although, honestly, hard sell. You got Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, and Miles Garrett. And Denzel Ward in the first round if we're talking about Ohio State. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for Columbus fans to like the Cleveland Browns right now, I suppose. But Dwayne Haskins would certainly, I think, be a step in the right direction if that's your goal. I think getting Dwayne Haskins into into the system where you have Alex Van Pelt, Brian Callahan, and Zach Taylor could only bode well for his development. Especially behind Dalton. I think it would really, because people, the people that aren't sure on Haskins think he needs a year of development. Uh, and I would like to, I would like to have Andy Dalton in the room for a year to develop a lot of these guys. Yeah. And the other guy that, that I didn't mention was still available, TJ Hawkinson, who for this particular mock slides all the way down to 20. Interesting. To the Steelers at 20? We don't talk about that team, Joe. Jesus, I'm sick. We don't talk about that team, Joe. In the second round, the Bengals select Mac Wilson, linebacker, Alabama. And this is one that when we talk about linebackers, you won't hear this name in the top five for either of us. Spoiler alert. Correct. The Bengals are searching for their ver- version of Leighton Vander Esch, which is why Devin White and Devin Bush are on the radar in round one. But Wilson isn't a bad plan B in the second round. He has three down abilities, including the potential to be one of the better cover linebackers in this class, which is certainly true on tape, but is not borne out by his athletic testing. And there are some concerns around his production score. Yeah, he's got he's got um, a host of red flags on him in terms of if he is a good bet to take and as a premium pick and um I would hope for the best, obviously, but the science and history is behind him. Or not behind him. Against yeah. him is what I want to say. And and this is this is one of those guys. He does have very good tape a lot of the time, but he tested as an average athlete. He ran a four seven, which in this class is is actually quite slow. Jermaine Pratt ran a five uh sorry, a four five seven. Uh Mac Wilson's four seven one for a guy that you're gonna be asked to you're going to be asking to do coverage things is about the same as Tavon Coney, Notre Dame's four seven two, and you turn on the tape on Tavon Coney, and he looks like he's moving in mud, yeah, a lot of the right. time. So it doesn't always completely translate. But the one thing with uh, also with Mac Wilson is if you go by rankings amongst other linebackers, his run stop percentage ranked 148th of all draftable linebackers, which is extremely low. Tackling efficiency, he missed a tackle one every eight attempts, which puts him 92nd. And his snaps in coverage by, uh, you know, basically by how many times he was targeted also. So covered snaps per target, 9.8, puts him 84th. So there is a lot of reasons why uh, you would look at him and say, yeah, he probably needs development. In two years, he played 1,300 total snaps. So it's an interesting idea. I think if they pick Mac Wilson, he's been the consensus second tier until the round of testing happened. And now he's sort of taking a slide. I think where you could start to nitpick this, A, you could say pick another linebacker in that spot. Even if it's Jermaine Pratt, you might be getting a more all-round player who has the athletic ability to do a little bit more. But Mm -hmm. Mac Wilson in this instance is picked before Dalton Reisner who I think I would really like in this spot before Hakeem Butler, who I would consider in this spot. Um, 
So you, you could nitpick if you want that particular pick. In the third round, then, he comes back and gives the Bengals Max Sharping. And, and this is an A-plus home run pick. I think Max Sharping in the third round is fantastic. I think he is the best. That, that's the best value you're going to get at offensive tackle in, in, this, in this year's NFL draft. Yeah, this is my favorite pick of the – in terms of placing a good bet. Uh, Max Sharping in the third round. I know some people don't like him or don't like him that high and would love – like, oh, same people that don't like him in the third like the bet in the fourth round. I think Sharping either way is a, a strong case. He, uh, he has the athleticism. He's got the size. Honestly, I've got something coming out. My next article will be on perfect matches for the Bengals, and Max Sharping will be one of them. So – uh, I'm definitely down with this pick in the third round. I, I would I would like that pick quite a bit. It's interesting because looking ahead in the fourth round now, he has Yadni Kajus going all the way down in the fourth round, which you know may be appropriate to some of the offensive line evaluators that we've talked about on this show and talked Makes to talked to on Twitter. But that's low for him compared to the consensus, and I think probably compared to NFL opinion. Blake Cashman goes 106 in this draft to the Oakland Raiders. And Kalen Saunders, a guy that we've mocked to the Bengals quite a bit, goes one pick before the Bengals pick another defensive tackle, Gerald Willis, uh, Miami defensive tackle. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, Willis is a guy that has decent production based on PFF. He's a little undersized, athletic type guy. Uh, and I don't say undersized as in a. I mean difference of, of what position. He's not a nose tackle. He's a three tech. So uh, we've talked about that need of finding a backup to Geno Atkins, maybe an eventual replacement. Uh, I'm fine with this pick. Fourth round's fair value. Some other notable names around Gerald Milius. Josh Oliver, who we picked yesterday in Mock Draft Monday, goes a couple picks later to the Buffalo Bills. I'd rather that pick. And Charles Menahue in the fourth round seems really good. He goes to the Packers, in this case, in the fourth round at 114. Drew Tranquil to the Falcons at 117. So those are all notable names that I might like in the fourth round. Right around where the Bengals pick, too. Yeah. Going on to the fifth, he's got the Bengals taking Isaac Nauda, a tight end from Georgia, who we talked about in early mock draft Mondays as a third, fourth round tight end. And then mm-hmm. he came out and ran like a five second 40. Yeah. His, his relative athletic score was extremely low. It was a 1.4, putting him in, he will never do anything territory. Yeah. I hate this pick. I, hate, I think this is a wasted, you punted your fifth round pick, but it's a fifth rounder and they've done worse or have done the same. <laughs> the interesting thing about Nauda is he does have good run blocking grading. So at the very yep. least, you, you might be able to throw him on the line and put him in a Reggie Kelly role. He's more of a um, move tight end, though, in my opinion. At 6'3", 244, I think he's yeah. gotten some space blocking and made some few blocks. But, you know, I don't think he's the type of guy you can rely on on being a blocker. Fair enough. I think, if anything, he's a Ryan Hewitt, you know, and yeah. okay. you use him in that role. And and Ryan Hewitt is a guy that never really found he, – he, he found playing time in Cincinnati, but never found the, you know, production right people he he got a big deal and then he never really produced the way that that big deal might have suggested other notable picks that go after the Bengals here are a couple guys we've talked about on this podcast from Washington Drew Sample Ben Burkirvin both of whom I would take over Isaac Nauta here in the fourth yep let's round it out in the sixth round with the many many sixth round picks David Sills is one Mitch Hyatt is two Devin Ozigbo 
Running back yep. from Nebraska is the third, Montre Hardage, quarterback for my alma mater, Northwestern. And finally, Sharif Miller, edge from Penn State. Mitch Hyatt, we've talked about Clemson offensive tackle, has been linked to the Bengals. They brought him in. This is atypical. When they bring in late-round guys for top 30 visits or get reported interest, circle those guys. They tend to be the pick in, in, in the late. So good on uh, Dane Brugler for seeing that and recognizing it. My favorite pick of this bunch is David Sills, wide receiver of West Virginia. He was their deep threat this past year, and, man, he won a lot on, on getting deep, making plays, and the Bengals could use that for their competition at fourth receiver. Yeah. I have not watched Montre Hardage that much. I did watch a few Northwestern games last year as a fan. I will say that Northwestern corners generally are not coached to turn their head and find the ball in the air. Ball tracking is generally not a strength of guys coming out of Northwestern. It's not to say that Hardage isn't the exception to the rule, um, but that's something I think that I would get more into if they actually draft him in the in this year's class. I don't think Hardage is a guy that... You need to run out and spend a lot of time watching. No, no that's fine. And uh, I mean, five picks in six round. Every time we get here, I'm I'm shocked with how many picks it is. And then in the seventh round, the Bengals take Keelan Doss, wide receiver. UC Davis, and we saw him at the Senior Bowl. And I think everyone that was watching liked his size and makeup and, and the way he moved and kept waiting for him to do something with it. Kept waiting for him to make a play on the ball, show some spectacular catch or, you know, refined route running. And he just never did look like a guy for most of it. And that's probably why he's here in the seventh round. I, I Many thought he had a chance to uh, exert himself and, and move up this class, and he did not. So that's a fine pick still, developmental guy. Second receiver taken in, in you know, the last two rounds of the, uh, to end the draft. And I think that's very reasonable. So there's a bunch of different names, I think, for the Bengals. Max Sharping, you've heard us talk about quite a bit. Dwayne Haskins, we've obviously talked about quite a bit. We haven't talked about many of these other guys a ton, especially, you know, Mac Wilson, Isaac Nada, we haven't talked about really since the combine because of how they tested. We haven't wanted to talk about Isaac Nada. Honestly, I, yeah. he, he's not even, I won't even draft him. So Joe did go on the Locked On Draft podcast to play the role of Cincinnati Bengals GM, picking 11 in a very tough spot. We will play the audio for that for you after we take a quick break, and I will give my thoughts on Joe's performance as Bengals GM. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. Today we get a little bit of a treat. Joe went on to a different podcast on the Locked On Network, and if you're into the draft, check it out. It's called Locked On NFL Draft. And they're going through and working through each team, having people come on to be the GM. And Joe was picking with a few of our favorite names, either off the board earlier or just off the board. So let's take a listen to what Joe does in that spot. All right, so you highlighted a lot of the positions, a lot of the ones that Cincinnati needs as well. So I guess it is time. Number 11, Joe, who are you picking with the board kind of is what it is when we explained that a little bit earlier. Who would you pick if you were the Bengals in this spot here at the number one or the number 11 overall pick? 
Yeah, and I'd like to say I agreed to do this before you sent me who went in the first top 10 picks. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course I'll do this. This will be fun. I'll get someone really good. And then I look at the top 10, and I'm like, okay, all right, sounds normal. I'll, the first four, great. Oh, Ed Oliver, I think five. I think I, I was telling Joe, I don't know if I told Ben this, but the second that Carmen picked Ed Oliver at number five for the Buccaneers, ev- like almost every single other team past them who was coming on right. was like, dang it, I wanted Oliver. Like every single one of them was saying that. So that's no surprise that I think uh, Bengals fans are certainly hoping out for, for Oliver as well. And I think that's pretty representative of how, you know, people like us view it and view Oliver as, man, There's he's got the chance to be Aaron Donald. Now it'd be crazy we, to compare him to the best defensive player in the league, right? right? You, you should not do that. But We, we knew this was going to happen, right? I mean, yeah. at the beginning of the year in like August, it was a lock. Bosa's one, Oliver's two, and there were even a couple of people who would have Oliver one. Then all of a sudden there was like, Oliver's weight's an issue. Now he's sliding all the way back to like the end of the first round. I saw some mock drafts didn't even have him in the first. This was so inevitable that three weeks before the draft, people were going to go, yeah, let's move that Oliver back up. And like all of a sudden, it's like top five again. Well, listen, he ran his pro day, Trevor. Didn't you see? He's as quick as he always has been. (laughs) Guy on tape who was explosive ends up being explosive. Incredible. Yeah, insanely athletic guy. Still insanely athletic. What do you yeah. know? It's and you, that's the thing too. Is that even uh, I talk to other people and they go, "Well, he's undersized still, or he doesn't have the power." I'm like, I don't think you're watching him then, because this guy is super strong. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being. Obviously, he should be end up in a really good defensive tackle class. Should end up being a top five player from this draft. So when he went, I was like, makes sense, but I'm kind of bummed out because I've gotten used to the idea of maybe there's a chance he's there. Aaron Donald did go 13th overall in a good defensive tackle class too, so or defensive line class, I should say. Uh, so I was bummed by that. And then seeing Jonah Williams come off the board, uh, Devin White go off at 10, one pick before the Bengals. For me, this reminds me of last year where I really wanted Frank Ragnow at 21. Mm. He goes 20, no one expects it, right? And I'm like, no, that means they're going to take Billy Price, even though Price is a fine prospect. He wasn't Frank Ragnow in my eyes. Uh, and then Hawkinson is the guy I fall back on when Oliver, Jonah Williams, and Devin White have gone ahead of me in other in mock simulations or, or mock draft machines, as you, as you guys have at the Draft Network. Uh, and so Hawkinson was the guy I was like, oh, there we go. So there's four guys that have gone that I would have targeted. And now it leaves me, okay, this is now off of my feelings and what I feel I would do or what the Bengals should do into now – this is definitely what they would probably do. And they would stay true to their board, or at least their board's very dependent on position of need. And I think they'd say, listen, I don't think the gap's that big between Devin White and Devin Bush at linebacker. And I agree. I agree. Te- Testing-wise, they're almost exact. Uh, size-wise, there's not much of a difference, maybe an inch in height. I think on tape, there's times that Devin Bush looks better than Devin White. Yep. And- listen, you are among friends yep. of the Devin Bush <laughs> over Devin White crew right now, if that's where we're going. Yeah, and I only think Devin White gets the consensus that he's ranked higher is because he's been there for so long. And rather than if we had fresh eyes on both guys, it'd probably be a bit more mixed. Uh, and there are some people that think Bush is better. But my point uh-huh. is, you're right. And and my point is that I think they would say, fine, 
we're getting a linebacker at a position of need, a guy that's highly athletic, yep. downhill run stuffer, can enforce his will, can run sideline to sideline. Sure, he's got some issues. I think for me, uh, when he gets wrapped up in, in linemen, and I think his vision becomes an issue, he's 5'11". It's going to happen. Uh, and there, at times, I wish they, he was asked to do more in coverage, especially with what he showed at the at the combine and pro day in terms of movement skills and running. I'm like, he, this guy should have been asked to drop more instead of blitzing as much right, as he did. Sure. Uh, so you th- you think that there's potentially a much more upside for him in coverage. So for me, I think it makes a lot of sense. He comes in, he steps into a starting role. I think this pretty much solidifies all 22-plus starters uh, on the roster if you go and get a linebacker in the first round. So I think this makes most sense. I think they would do it. I think the only other guys I'd consider here is, is Noah Fr- Fant enough of a freak to say, you know what, we only have one year left on Eifert. Uh, C.J. Ozama is just a guy, even though we like him, and he's definitely not Noah Fant. And, and you take an, you take him and you let him groom for a year because tight ends normally take a year uh, to, to fully step in the NFL. Or do you say, like, all right, defensive tackle Christian Wilkins, he was highly productive. While he doesn't really stand out as one trait, he constantly disrupted offenses, and I, that's something that they could definitely use next to Geno Atkins. For me, the other guy I would have considered and I'd heavily consider is Brian Burns because not only is yeah. he athletic, I mean, freak-wise, but, man, the movement skills he showed at the combine, I've said this like four times about different people, but I, it made me go back and watch Vaughn Miller and Cleo Mack at their combine performances because I said – he does. He just doesn't. Brian Burns doesn't look like these other guys out there. He's moving so fluid and, and so deliberate with each step, man. One one foot down, one toe down, and he's cutting off it. And then, uh, obviously, the tape, in my opinion, was really good. And there's some games that are, are, are fantastic. His production is off the charts, too. So, for me, I really like Brian Burns. And I think if you're telling me I can get a premier edge rusher, I think he'd probably go top six in a normal defensive line class. That's good value. But at the same time, I think Bush makes a lot of sense for them. I think he's a good prospect, and I'm not mad if they make that pick. So that was Joe on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, picking for the Bengals. He lands on Devin Bush, considering Jawan Taylor, Noah Fant, Brian Burns. Got to give some consideration, I think, to quarterbacks here. Drew Locke, Daniel Jones. He talked about Christian Wilkins. It's a tough spot. I don't envy you, Joe for having to pick for the Bengals on that board. Jonah Williams is gone. Ed Oliver is gone. Devin White, as we all think will be gone, is gone. Ed Oliver, gone at five. So you do what the Bengals would probably do in that situation, which is pick Devin Bush. If they don't trade back, they might also be happy to draft Devin Bush there. But as you'll see when Joe writes his uh, thresholds, they, they might just not be able to draft Devin Bush based on their... Yeah, based on their restrictions at the position. So you can't really knock the Bengals for picking Devin Bush if this is the way the, the board falls, and I won't knock Joe for it. I would say that Brian Burns represents, like he did yesterday in Mock Draft Monday, much better positional value for a potential elite player. And then you could also talk about maybe Christian Wilkins. This is a scenario where I think it's, it's the most likely outcome the Jeff Hobson's guy, Christian Wilkins, is a Bengals pick where they see the value of defensive tackle being better than the value of all these other positions and they want to go that route. So I, I won't knock you, Joe, for picking Devin Bush. I might have even done the same thing. I'm not a huge believer in Jawan Taylor 11, although it's, you know, he, he has at least the, the hands of the technique to project to be an effective right tackle pretty early in his NFL career. 
I like Noah Fant there. I like Brian Burns there. But it's it's hard to argue against Devin Bush in that scenario. Yeah, and that's what I fell on was just uh, I feel like this would be the pick the Bengals probably make. And I was at the point of, you know, I can't trade back, but a lot of the targets I would like at 11 were already gone. And I had to take – I didn't have to, but I picked to take a the final remaining need of their starting lineup. And how close were you to taking a quarterback? Not very close. I, you know, I I get to the situation of there wasn't an elite player. So here's here's how I normally put it in my brain and try and rationalize and organize and order it. Take a franchise quarterback above all. You got a guy there that you believe is a franchise quarterback, you draft him, right? Every team should follow this uh, unless you just drafted one. Next. Is there a blue chip player available? If there is, you take that blue chip player. So two things were not available for me at 11. Next step is now, for me, uh, you look at your board, you find out who's not the best. Is there a best player available at a need position, which I could see argument for Devin Bush. And then it also was, is there a quarterback that you think is a decent enough bet to become a franchise quarterback? And while I would say Jones and Locke are Okay, bets. I, Locke's got a lot of red flags on him. Uh, Daniel Jones has less, but the tape, in my opinion, has less upside. And upside can be an objective take, I, I guess. But So I, I wouldn't feel comfortable enough to pull the trigger on either one. And I went with the best player available at a need position. Yeah. And you can't, you can't really fault you for that. Like I said, we did end up going. We, we were in a similar position yesterday, and we, we yeah. went Brian Burns instead. And I made that argument during that that segment of considering Brian Burns based on value, positioning, and exactly. where I think he would probably go if this draft class was a little weaker on the defensive line. Exactly. So if you haven't checked it out already, Locked On NFL Draft is a good one. There's two draft-focused podcasts, actually, on the Locked On Network. Locked On NFL Draft is one, and the other one is The Draft Dudes. Yeah. So again, and, and we've got a pick coming up again where we just made it right, and uh, should be. I think that one will be more fun. Yeah, on April fifteenth, I believe you should look out for on the Locked On NFL podcast. All of the Locked On hosts went pick by pick in the first round, and we're Joe and I are really excited for that one. We can't wait to find the clips and clip them into our show and talk about how stoked we are about what we did in yeah. the Locked On NFL. We're Locked ready draft. to see your reaction, but I want to see the, like the they they've got analysts. It's going to sound like a, an actual draft, and they've got analysts that'll you know take our pick and analyze it, right? And I can't wait to hear what they say. Yeah, they got quarterback experts. They got two draft tables. You know, they got their Daniel Jeremiah table and their Mike Mayock table. Yeah, all good guys too. So I'm I'm yeah, I'm it'll really, be fun. Yep. Last thing to talk about, Joe. Time for us to go on the spot individually. And name our top five linebackers for the 2019 class, and I'll go first because okay. I, I know you want you know you want to see how you're different from me. I do. And this is a place where where I think I'm leaning on PFF maybe a little bit more than you are. Okay. So I'm I'm content saying Devin White is the best linebacker in the class. He has the production, the grading, the athleticism to back it up. Okay. I'm I'm happy to say Devin Bush is the second best linebacker in the class from what I've seen of him on tape. He's a really good blitzer 
I think he's probably the best blitzer actually out of all the guys we're going to talk about in top five linebackers. That's fair. And that could be because, you know, at 5'11", 233, he's the densest. Sure. His yep, BMI is probably the highest out of all these guys, except well, no, one guy. I, I, maybe one guy. Yeah. Uh, third, I, I'm sticking with Ben Burkirvin here. I think this is a place where we're going to differentiate. He is a three-year starter. He was very good against the pass for at least two years, if not all three years of Washington, and took a, a huge leap in run defense from 17 to 18. And his run defense grade, according to Pro Football Focus, better than Devin White, better than Devin Bush, better than pretty much everybody except for the guys you expect to be you know, middle linebackers that you don't want to ask to cover a ton. Yeah, the guys that only defend the run, right? Yeah. So all around, very, very solid prospect. I, I A guy that I was excited for and I hope to put in my top five that isn't going to make the cut that I'll just talk about here because he graded out really well, pro football focus as well, is Tavon Coney, who somehow graded out at a, above a 90 against the pass and pass defense in 2018 while maintaining 90, 90 plus run defense for two years. In so is this games. your number four guy? No, he's not. He's not in my oh, top okay. five, but I just wanted to take a second to talk about him because gotcha. he graded really well for pro football focus. Yeah, 91 uh, and 92 for the run and pass. But his he's just, I, I turned I turned on a game, a couple of games to watch him just because I was like, okay, this guy graded out really well in pass defense and was also a good run defender. Let me see it. Show Show me why he's so good. And, he just looks so slow on tape. Yeah. And if there, was, if there was any explosion to his game at all, he, he would he would be a, a day two prospect. Easy. Because he's the best tackler, I think, probably in the class. Let's see if PFF backs me up here. I think you're right on that. Tackling efficiency, tackling he efficiency is fourth. fourth. So, so way up there in tackling efficiency. And, and it's kind of a trend. You look at the guys that are good in tackling efficiency, they're slow. Yeah, <laughs> I guess those things go together because they only get to the tackles they can make. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so yeah, if Tavon Coney had some speed to his game, he'd be up there. But but he doesn't, unfortunately. I think he has the production, he has the grading, but I think his his best case outcome, I think, is like a Vinnie Ray kind of role. Yeah. So my my fourth guy, and this this gets hard for me. I think I'll stick with Blake Cashman for the fourth guy. Even okay. though I have concerns, I don't. I think, I think I have the same concerns for him as I have with Ben Burkirvan, except Cashman didn't do as well according to Pro Football Focus, and just comparing some of those metrics, uh, similar tackling efficiency actually, actually better run stop percentage. So maybe maybe I should be higher on Blake Cashman. He just didn't grade out as well, right? Uh, Any especially the one year in coverage. One year in co- the seventeen year seventeen in coverage is is that's lowest of it's anyone really in, in our top seven. Yeah. Well, except for except for the next guy I'm going to talk about, I think Blake Cashman. Though another thing is he he doesn't have the production score of Bember Curvin. Bember Curvin has all pro level production from college. Yep. That doesn't always translate, right? Like that's a average. It's the a average bonus. all pro linebacker has this production score ninety eight. This is Geometrics production scores. Yep. And 90, 93, I think, is uh, is what you want. The average all-pro guy had a production score of a 93, I want to say, in college. So, uh, yes, you're right on on with Ben Burkirvan there. And Ben Burkirvan's 98 is outstanding. Blake Cashman's 80 
is good. It's still really good, but yeah. not not quite at the same level. So I think in terms of prospects, they're very similar. Similar builds, six six foot six one, Ben Burkhardt and Blake Cashman respectively, two thirty two thirty seven. So in terms of weight to height, density, BMI, whatever you want to call it, really close. Yep, so probably slight nod to Blake Cashman there. Uh, arm length, Ben Burkhardt has as a as an inch. Inch and a half on Blake Cashman's arm. So that's that's a pretty big deal, especially when you go read Joe's uh, threshold piece he's going to have coming it's, out. About it's our one red flag right now on our on Blake Cashman on our, on our yeah. spreadsheet is that he's got the shortest arms of everyone. Everyone's at least like 31, and the Bengals want normally 32. He's at 30.13 inches. Yeah. Similar, similar athletic testing. Blake Cashman a little bit better in terms of athletic testing. And my fifth guy is, speaking of athletic testing, Jermaine Pratt, whose RAS, his relative athletic score, 93, is actually the same as Devin White. It's surprising. Better than Ben Burkhurvin. He ran a 4.57, which is .01 seconds worse than Ben Burkhurvin, but his pass defense grades were much weaker. His run defense grades are a little bit stronger. He's a much more sound tackler, according to PFF, missing a tackle out of every 23 attempts instead of every 12 or 13 attempts, which is Cashman yeah. and Denver Kervin. Yeah. He wasn't targeted as much in coverage, and he was way up there in run stops. So if you tell me... As, you're, get, as you're saying this, you're like, man, I like Jermaine Pratt. Though, I do you? like Jermaine <laughs> Pratt. I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't necessarily like him more than Burke Kervin or Cashman, and that's mostly because of what the Bengals, I think, would benefit more from. Yep, yep. Because right. I, th- I think Cashman, I th- sorry, I think Pratt still can get exploited the same way that they were exploited last year. Although you look at you look at the forty times, and then you think, well, I mean, so could right. Cashman and Burke Irvin then. Yep, he'd make up for it. I think with his raw athleticism, I think there's much more untapped coverage ability for Jermaine Pratt. Yeah, I, I think that that probably is true. Looking at his relative athletic score, so I think the thing is that second tier of guys, Burke Irvin, Pratt, Cashman, is is close. Yeah, I think I agree. they're close. And I think Drew Tranquil, if he didn't have the injury red flags he has, will be easy in that list too. Yep, I agree. So let me go on mine. And I didn't know Jake's. Jake didn't know mine. But we are, we're creating a, a spreadsheet so we have similar information to work off of and ended up with the same five guys just in different order. Uh, so no no difference in the top five. And I'll talk about maybe some couple uh, guys that rank below that I would be interested in or not. So I, I also have Devin White, number one. And I have him over Devin Bush, largely because I think even though the tape may favor Bush slightly in some ways and, and definitely cleaner against the run, I think White's better in coverage than Bush on tape. So having said that, they're very similar, tested extremely similar. There's an, there's four pounds and an inch between them. Uh, Density-wise goes for Devin Bush. In the Really what would split them for me is uh, their grading on PFF, which tends to favor uh, White just a little bit in coverage, and then the production scores is the big difference. For me, when you look at solo tackle market share and how that projects to the NFL, it has a strong correlation. And we said earlier, 93 is all pro level normally. Devin White has a 94.76. So he's basically a 95. He's on the trajectory, the way he tested, the way he, he is projected to go high, and his production scores. It, sh- it should be a slam dunk pick, even though he's got some issues on tape. And the While other Devin- thing, sorry, the other thing that I think you need to talk about when you talk about Devin White and Devin Bush, because some people on Twitter will say, you know, he'll bite on all of the play action and he sometimes yep. looks like he's running around without a plan. 
And and part of what I like about Devin White is I think once he gets coached differently, once he's has different emphases and different keys, different way of approaching the game, I think that his athleticism will play up. And that's why I think I, I agree with that completely. Um, comparing him to White, again, so the production for White and Bush. White is a 95, Bush it's a 78, which puts Bush under the, even the Pro Bowl level and, and really puts him in with the good starter, basically, and could make a Pro Bowl or, or should. But, and that, again, that's... Is that average or threshold? Average. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, oh, no, we'll have... I, I, yeah, we'll I think have, that is average, right. Yeah, we'll have a day where we talk about some of these in a little bit yes. more depth if you're confused about what I'm talking about when I ask if it's average or threshold. Essentially, the, the long and short of it is there's a certain number that no one's ever been below to be right. a Pro Bowl, All-Pro linebacker, and then there's a certain number that is the average production score for the guys that are Pro Bowl, All-Pro linebackers. Yeah, so basically you want to pass that threshold. It's, it's tough to do. Um, anyways, and then here's the thing. If you really break it down between White and Bush, uh, run stop percentage, right? So how often are they making a run stop? And White ranks 28th of all linebackers, which is good. And Devin Bush, 120th. So big gap between those Huge two. Tackling. Gap. Yeah, tackling efficiency while White misses tackles. And uh, you can find him on, on any clip uh, people will show you. He, uh, his tackling efficiency was 70th for Devin White. For Devin Bush, it was 98th. So he actually misses more tackles more often. And then in coverage, 36th for cover snaps per target for Devin White, 123rd. We, we talk about Devin Bush in, in coverage a lot, and they ask him to blitz and do other things and spy the quarterback. When he is in coverage, he got targeted and targeted often as if like, oh, look, he's in coverage. Let's let's go after him. Can we talk about this metric a yep. little bit real quick? Because I, I don't know how much this really tells us. This is like not this something one? the linebacker controls at all. Right. The linebacker, I mean, marginally controls when he's targeted in coverage. Sure. A lot of times when a linebacker is assigned a cover target, according to PFF, it's because you know the zone dictated that the throw would go that way or you got Agreed. matched up on a running back running a wheel route. Yep. And and they're going to try and, and so like this isn't this isn't how often he's getting picked on. The the I think this tells you more for corners uh especially than outside corners than it does for linebackers. Yep. But it's still worth noting, you know, this just tells you that that Devin Bush was at least tested more. Yeah. In coverage I, I, than I Devin I'm, White. I'm not referencing this this stat because i love it i'm referencing it because one guy's on one end of the spectrum one guy's on the other so you know anytime you have an outlier like that it should at least bring awareness to why was this happening yeah and and i think you can look at okay devin bush was targeted once you know once every five snaps more often so he was targeted much more often almost 50 percent more often but still had pretty strong pass defense grade at about an 88 versus Devin White's 90, 91 and a half. Yep. And right. So we're splitting hairs. Biggest difference for me is the production scores and solo yeah. ta- tackle market share and Devin White completely blows them out of the water. So, um, and I say that as the top two linebackers, I still really like Devin Bush a lot. I like him much more since he tested well. I had he have tested closer to what I saw on tape. He might get mixed into the second tier a little bit more. And for that number three, I have Blake Cashman from Minnesota. I almost said Wisconsin, sorry. From Minnesota, and I think Cashman he didn't come on the scene until his combine. So this isn't all combine stuff, which I think some people may think he is. Uh, but in my opinion, when you put on the tape afterwards, you saw every bit of that athleticism he showed. And he's only really a 
one-year, one-and-a-half-year starter. He's only played 1,028 snaps in his college career. If he played all – if he was your nickel linebacker and, and cover guy on uh, weak side linebacker for the Bengals, he'd eclipse that probably in year one as a rookie. So there is a lot of upside still remaining potentially for Blake Cashman. 1,000 snaps in one year? That's all he played so far. That, you think he's going to eclipse that in one year? The Bengals played almost 1,200 snaps on defense last year. I just mean if he's your – if he really? comes in, you okay. – yeah, I thought they were closer to 800. Okay. No, yeah, they're, they were way over. So if you take them in premium pick in round two and you say this is our weak side linebacker and cover guy, guess what? He's gonna he, There's a chance he could eclipse that if he stays healthy. So okay. there is a lot of development still with Blake Cashman, and uh, I like the idea of his production scores being – his production scores are higher than Devin Bush. His relative athletic score is very similar. Uh, he was decent based on pro football focus grading. But as we talk about run stop percentage and tackling efficiency, he ranks 17th and 27th. So very high. His covered snaps per target, 120th. So he's down there with Bush in terms of he was being picked on. Uh, number four for me, I put Jermaine Pratt. And as a lot of the same reasons Jake talked about, I like the upside of Pratt. He is a downhill power run stuffer, middle linebacker. He's really the, of this next group, I think Ben Burkirvan and Blake Cashman are weak side guys. I think Jermaine Pratt is the other middle linebacker who tested really well athletically. Uh, relative athletic score for, for Jermaine Pratt is a 95. I'm sorry, a, a, that is a, um, let me go back on that. This is a 93, correct? Yes, 93. So I was off on one. Uh, but anyways, Pratt, when you watch him on tape, there's a lot to like. He will power through blockers. He will come downhill. He'll make a stuff. And I want to believe there's more in coverage. And the way he tested could say that there is more in coverage. And based on where he ranked last year uh, for pro football focus he, at North Carolina State, fifth, you talked about this, right? Fifth in run stop percentage, sixth in tackling efficiency, 40th in cover snap per target. He is a good bet to take. And it's not like he was egregious in pass defense either. 70, 79 essentially mm-hmm. is the coverage grade for 2018 yeah that's a big step from 2017 too and and i think linebacker pass coverage grades are often inconsistent year to year so that's why i see ben curvin 91 91 and i'm like okay yeah he, he can do it he's done it two years in a row and he's a former safety so it kind of makes sense but yep the the point here is that there's a trajectory for jermaine pratt so his his ras his relative athletic score of 93 is actually very surprising and when you look at it, too, and, and I have Ben Burkirvan as my number four from Washington. When you look at their snaps differences, Ben Burkirvan's played 600 more snaps. So Jermaine Pratt, two-year starter, 1,376 snaps. There should be, again, a progression for him to be much better in, in the NFL. And yeah. I think that should happen. And then we have Ben Burkirvan at number five. And I like Ben Burkirvan. We drafted him mock draft Monday. Uh, he grades high for us. You liked him. You gave good reasons why. I'm not going to deviate from that. I think his relative athletic score, his production, his tape is good. He's done it for longer. Uh, Three-year starter, 1,900 snaps. Yeah, I I would have no problem with Ben Burkirvan. I don't know if this if the fifth guy here on our ranking goes in or last until the Bengals' third-round pick. Most mock drafts I've seen Burkirvan in the third, fourth-round range. So I think that's fair, and if that were to happen, that would be a – Home run pick, I believe, in that spot for for where we have them ranked. It'll be interesting to see how our ranks and pro football focus's grades translate for some of these guys to the NFL, because pro football focus isn't always right, and I think that their data is best in the trenches, in defensive and offensive line. That's where it seems to have the most predictive power. So we'll see how it plays out at the linebacker position. 
Yeah. Joe, who are some of the late round guys? Maybe maybe talk about why we aren't talking about Mac Wilson as a top five guy anymore. How about Cody yeah. Barton, a guy that had a visit? Tavon Coney also had some contact with the Bengals, but Cody Barton, yeah. Utah That's linebacker right. that had a visit with the Bengals. Did he have a visit or did they just send people they, and, and meet with him at his they, pro day? Yeah, Was they met with him. Yeah, and that's, Utah, visit. Sorry. that's a Utah linebacker. Again, in the same mold, a lot of these guys are 6'1", 235, right? I mean, they seem to be all cut out of the same cloth. Uh, but he's, he's 6'2", 237, just shy of 32-inch arms, ran a 4.64. So he's got decent speed. That that uh, equates to a 93.5 because he, he tested well all over. 93.5 relative athletic score. So he's up there also. When you go to Pro Football Focus uh, grades, he's a three-year starter, also 1,900 snaps. He had an 86 in coverage, 86.6 his past year. In 2017, was bad in coverage, 63. And I say bad because this is relative to all these players that will be drafted. Uh, decent run defender, 81 and 86. I'm um, 81 and 76 the past two years. He ranks his best, and when we talk about tackling efficiency, he is 14th in this draft, only missing one tackle every 16.7 attempts. So Cody Barton is a middle linebacker, in my opinion, uh, that is probably – I I wouldn't be surprised if he gets drafted a little bit higher than what people thought. He's definitely the the type of guy that's going to – have teams bring them in once he tested and that's definitely what happened and why the Bengals could be interested he seems like a day three type one of those guys I mentioned earlier when you have a day three guy that the Bengals show interest in circle him because that could be that second linebacker they take after they take a weak side guy early in the draft and then Cody Barton is is you know selected in the fifth sixth round or so and why we don't have Mac Wilson in here and a lot of people question that and for me Mac Wilson just really being a Two-year starter at most, 1,300 snaps, and most of that was coming last year. Uh, didn't capitalize on on the previous season in, 2000, in, in his 2018 year was just okay. When you watch it on tape, he does some things in, in, in space, in coverage, uh, against the run. He's really kind of a liability, in, in my opinion. And in, in, in Alabama defense, that's not very normal. Uh, 6'1", 240, 32-inch arms, ran a 4'7", which in comparison, a lot of these guys run a 4'4", 4'5", at the very least 4'6". He's running a 4'7", His relative athletic score is a very average 50.9, uh, which really is not going to put him in the range of uh, someone you're going to target with a premium pick and then to even drive it home as production scores, which is largely solo tackle market share is a 36.92 well below even ever being um, anything of significance. He may become a starter because he'll probably be drafted in the range that'll force him to be a starter, but really it's not very uh, hopeful for his future and pro football focus did not like him at all over his uh, last two years. Really l- highest grade is, 2017 was a 72 in pass coverage yeah so an average kind of average athleticism literally like 5.09 ras relative yeah. athletic score production isn't there size is good if you want to if you want to say that there's something that he's got in his favor six one two forty, pretty prototypical size 32 at 32 plus inch arms that's good and when I go through the thresholds and in, in the in the average for the Bengals he is smack dab what they normally draft yeah uh, and except one the other thing time? too. What, what's what's what about the forty time? Four seven five normally for them. Yeah. Four seven. Right. And he so, ran a four so seven one. He's I mean, right on a lot of his stuff. Obviously, they like the slow linebackers. Yeah, this <laughs> year not a this problem. Year, this year's an exception though. So the average forty time for most of these guys, I'm excluding Khalil Hodge from this. But okay. of the guys we have in the spreadsheet, because Khalil Hodge ran a five oh five. In case you weren't right. aware, <laughs> um, the average forty time four point six. 
Right. So, so he's just below it. Yeah, I mean, Mac Wilson, TJ Edwards, Tave Unconi, these are the guys, uh, Cameron Smith, USC linebacker, these are the guys on the wrong side of the average. The guys in our top five, all better than that average. A lot of guys, 4'4", 4'4", 4'3", obviously, Devin White, Devin Bush. Four fives, yep. Burke Herman, Pratt, Cashman. Uh, Drew Tranquil, also four five seven kind of guy. So a lot of the and, guys we like are the faster ones, and, and I think as Bengals fans, that should be obvious why. Yep, and the um, run stop percentage from Mac Wilson was 4.6%. That ranks 148th amongst draft-eligible linebackers. He is extremely low, and I think just looking at it, that's the lowest of all of the guys here. So run defense is not his forte. And for the Bengals, I still think you're going to you're going to value that. And when you look at it, uh, yeah, they uh, it, that's going to be something they're going to knock him on. It, it, just look at the linebackers they've drafted recently. Uh, the last three have been Malik Jefferson, Jordan Evans and Nick Vigil. OK, those three guys, relative athletic score, 9.78, 9.47, 7.41. Now you can argue the success, but I would say recently the Bengals have targeted uh, athletic linebackers. And there's a lot of options in this draft. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven guys above 90, above nine yep. for for athleticism. And Ben Burkhaven's right there at 8.94. So a lot of guys that are very athletic in this draft class of linebacker, which is great for the Bengals. And honestly, I'm talking myself into Jermaine Pratt the more I look at it. <laughs> I know, because his stuff looks good. Honestly, he looks like a good bet. So, and, and I'm going to say that a lot in the next few weeks and then after, right? When we grade these drafts, a lot of it is going to be, are they, because I don't care where you fall on this. Some people are like, tape, 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 tape. And I'm with you. I love the tape. Um, but the tape can lie to you, number one. I've had it happen to me plenty of times. We're wrong all the time, even if you love the tape. But uh, some people may say the draft is a crapshoot. If you're listening to this right now, draft is a crapshoot anyways. I could agree with that also. And I will say it's all about making smart bets, and trying to avoid the bad bets, the the bets that are low payoff or even just low chance of ever hitting. And if you can avoid those, your chances of succeeding are going to be much higher. And for me, when we start ranking these guys, Mac Wilson is a bad bet right now. Jermaine Pratt is a pretty good bet. Jermaine Pratt is looking like a pretty good bet. Doesn't really have any of the outlier stuff. Yeah. Right. The, the crapshoot analogy is a good one. I, I like it because you think about craps, you know the odds of every dice rolling craps. Yep. And you know what the payout is for each of those dice rolls of crap. You would never bet a hard four if it paid out two to one. Anyway. You're losing the, me. The people, the when people it comes to gamble, actual betting, I have no idea. The when it comes to betting on draft picks, I'm with you. The only gambling I know anything about is craps because I had a really good go. day at a craps <laughs> at a craps table in, in Vegas the first time I went. And I don't like gambling, so don't don't talk to me about gambling. It's not something I enjoy. <laughs> don't but talk I, to me about gambling. I, I we'll did have a, about it more this year, though, right? What? With the NFL, and I mean, gambling is becoming more prevalent. Anyway, we're still waiting on production scores for some of the rest of these linebackers. Things might change a little bit. I don't think that our top five is going to change. Drew Tranquil is a guy on the edge, I think, for both of us who has just the injury red flags is, is yep. a big one for him. Yep. So that'll do it for the Lockdown Bengals podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you have a good one, Bengals fans. See you next time. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.